want to thank you for braving the blizzard of Salem, Oregon, 2019. Whew, that's a tough one. You guys are brave for getting on the road this morning. Pretty crazy. Uh, so glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being committed. Uh, thanks for showing up for the first time, if this is, if this is your first time. Uh, you're at Outward Church, if you didn't know that. My name is Matt. Um, just a couple things for you real quick. We told you that uh, we're, we've got a renewed emphasis on membership uh, as, as a church. And uh, part of the reason for that is, is because membership isn't just the ending point of, okay, I'm committed, I'll become a member, and you just kind of sit and, and, and wait at that point for Jesus to return. But membership is the beginning point of us uh, sharing mutual accountability among one another and engaging in active discipleship. Uh, not just uh, being a uh, bench warmer, as we say sometimes, uh, or a pew warmer, for that matter. Uh, uh, not just being somebody who is uh, just attending occasionally, but somebody who's actively engaging and saying, okay, I want you to hold me accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable uh, uh, as well, and we're going to do this together, and we want to grow in Jesus Christ. And so that's the invitation of membership, and so we want to invite you to that. So we have a membership class that starts on, uh, that is on, um, did I get this right? Okay, uh, on the 24th of this month, and so that'll be taking place on the 24th. Uh, what, there's a prerequisite uh, for membership, a couple of those. Uh, one of them is we want to see you attend basic. Um, if you haven't attended basic, uh, attend that. I, it's, I think it's the first Sunday of the month, uh, and so you might miss this membership class. However, uh, if you've been here for a long time, we have probably contacted you. If we haven't contacted you and you're like, hey, I thought I was a member, and I don't think I am, or, or something like that, or if we've contacted you and say, hey, you should become a member, you really should become a member because uh, we have an all-members meeting that will be on the 3rd of March. And the reason for that is we want to talk with you about uh, the details of what God is doing in the church. We want to hear from you. Uh, we want to discuss what's next for us. And we really want to engage uh, as, as a church body in prayer and uh, hearing from you and you hearing uh, from the leadership on a different level than we'd normally share on Sunday morning. So if you're not a member, become a member. Uh, next membership class is on uh, the 24th of this month. And um, that, like I said, ba go to BASIC. Be a part of the church for at least three months, attending regularly, and then you can become a member. If you miss this one, that's okay. There will be uh, others that are coming down uh, the pike here shortly. Uh, we are going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, a little bit at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 11, uh, chapter 12, and uh, we'll be, be going from there here shortly. Uh, so you can turn there. Uh, we have been talking through the book of Genesis uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is really all about primeval history, like early, early history, the first man and woman and so on, and how did all this uh, come to take place. Uh, we've been talking all the way through that. I hope that that's been good for you. Uh, I want to remind you about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, that shows the fall of man. The fall of man is when Adam and Eve sin. They sin, that's the first sin in human history. It creates this snowball effect where everything starts to unravel, and, and it goes on from there. But in chapter 3, towards the end, uh, God says this in chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, he says this, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, 
between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, a mortal wound, and you shall bruise his heel. So what this means is that there's going to be a seed. There's going to be an offspring. Is there another way to say seed? There's going to be an offspring of the woman, of, of a human woman who is going to bruise the head of the serpent, that is Satan, and take him out. That'll be a mortal wound. Um, the, the seed or the offspring who is Jesus, by the way, uh, the offspring, his heel will be bruised. So he will not have a mortal wound, uh, but uh, in any case, this is the first prophecy of the gospel. And so that is said in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's called the Proto-Evangelion. We're, we're talking a little bit uh, academically here right now, and, but I want you to know this because it's very important. Um, it's very important because the gospel is announced from beginning to end uh, throughout the scriptures. And we see that proclamation of the gospel there. And indeed, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Before the foundations of the earth, God had planned uh, salvation. God had planned re the redemption of man because God is sovereign. He knows what's going to happen. He's planned how it's going to happen. And we might say, why did he put it into place if he knew this was going to happen? Well, you're going to have to ask God that. But I can tell you, it is for his glory. So that's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, in chapter 11, we got done with the story of the Tower of Babel, how man was told to disperse and go throughout the, uh, throughout the world and multiply and fill the earth. But man centralizes him and herself into the, the plain of, of Shinar, and they say, you know, let's make something of ourselves. Let's, let's be something. We're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. We're going to cause this to be in our life. It's this self-willed life without God. And what does God do? God comes down. He confuses their language. And he disperses them throughout the world as a result, creating many nations. However, what the question that we've been asking is... Who is going to be the seed of the woman? Where is the line of descent? Where is the, the, this genealogy going to go? Now, we've, we've talked about this several times throughout the book of Genesis, that there are many ge genealogies throughout there. And it is showing us where the seed of the woman is and where, where that's going. Now, if you remember back in the story of Noah, at the very end of that, uh, Ham... Ham's descendants are cursed, but Shem's are uh, the descendants where the line of blessing will come through, okay? Uh, chapter 11 picks it up in, I uh, need to get there here real quick. Chapter 11 gets, gets to, uh, yes, verse 10 of chapter 11. It says, these are the generations of Shem. So after the story of Babel, we come to the generations of Shem. So now it's, it's showing us here is the line that we want to follow. And if you come to the end of that passage and you look at verse uh, 24, we'll start there. Verse 24 of chapter 11 says this, When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived, after he fathered Terah, 119 years, and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. 
And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was, was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, let's pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whom, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to, uh, to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still, going toward the Negev. Now, ah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think that this is so incredibly important. It is so incredibly important. And the reason is this, is because Abram is a central figure throughout the scriptures. In fact, Galatians talks about Abram, or Abraham, his name is changed later by God. Talks about Abraham. Talks about his, his faith apart from works. That he, he, was, he had faith. And that is indeed what saved him, not his works. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about his amazing faith, which we can talk about here in a, uh, a little bit. But Abram and Abraham is such a central figure in the scriptures that if we don't understand Abraham, we cannot understand the rest of the Old Testament. If we don't understand Abraham and who he is and what he's doing, we, can, we cannot see what God is doing. And I, I believe that we get set off on the wrong foot on what it looks like to be a Christian in Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to look back at this, when you look at uh, uh, the, the descendants of, of Terah, you look back at verse 27 from chapter 11, it says these are the generations of Terah, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, Haran fathered Lot, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, and, and, and on and on. And it's, it's talking about Nahor, and Sarai, and Milcah, and, um, and Iscah. Anyway, it's talking about all of these people. It's telling us something about them. It's telling us about who they are. And it's really highlighting something for us 
that we need to hear and that we need to understand, which is this. If you're to look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, you don't need to turn there, just that verse. Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, he said to Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram, and Nahor, and they served other gods. So there's a couple things about uh, Abram and his family. First of all, they're inbred. Uh, there's, there's Haran, and, 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 he has, and he dies early, but he has a daughter, and she marries uh, somebody else. So there's intermarriage, so they're inbred. And then secondly is this, is that they're absolutely pagan idolaters. That this family is not some great Christian family. They've just kind of been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for things to take place. This isn't a guy, I don't believe, who's sitting there just waiting for God to speak. That is Abram or Terah, his father. This is a family who's in the midst of Ur of the Chaldeans. They're, they're in the midst of Ur of the Chaldeans who are moon worshipers. In fact, uh, uh, Kent Hughes says this. Their names come right out of the cult of moon worship. Terah's name is related to the word Yerea, which means moon, and Yera, which means lunar moon. Sarai is the equivalent to the Akkadian Seratu, which means queen, and was the name of the wife of the moon god Sin. Milka is the same as the goddess Malkatu, a title of Ishtar, daughter of the moon god. They're in the midst of of this crazy pagan generation. In fact, there is an awesome, there is, I think there's probably more than just one, but I watched a couple uh, just this last week in regards to uh, a couple of documentaries in regards to Ur of the Chaldeans. And there have been some archaeological discoveries in that area. And I don't mean small things. I mean like major burial grounds, like royal burial grounds that contained gold and that contained all kinds of objects and, and things of this nature. If you were to search on YouTube for the treasures of Ur of the Chaldeans or something like that, I think you would find it, it is an old documentary. I think it comes through Penn State. Um, but in any case, the things that they found in here are incredible. They found uh, these, these royal figures. In fact, there's one woman who was buried and her body is, is mummified, and she has elaborate things on her body and in her hair that is still visible. It's pretty gross looking, but if you can handle that, you can deal with it. There was all kinds of gold things, and like a lyre, and it, like instruments, and, and things like that. There were these women who had these, uh, these head veil things, and there were uh, you know, necklaces and all kinds of beads and all of this stuff that was buried with this royalty. And then on top of that, there was multiple people who were sacrificed, servants of these, uh, this royalty that had died. And they, were, they either killed themselves or they were murdered inside of this gravesite. And they're all lined up perfectly. And then there's some soldiers here. And then there's a couple of ox here. And, there, and then there's a, a cart here. There's all of this stuff. It was clearly, very clearly, a pagan culture. All that to say, Abram's act of faith. 
Abram's act of faith to hear God when God says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Abram's act of faith to just hear God and then begin to walk and say, okay, God, I'm with you. I'm going your direction was absolutely massive. It was monumental faith. He was a, he was a pagan. He was old, 75 years old. He was rich. He was settled. His family was there. All of his friends, everything about him was there. Everything that he had experienced, everything that he liked was there in Ur. And God says, go from your country and go from your family and go from everything that you've ever known and I want you to walk in the, way, in the direction that I tell you. I want you to go where I tell you to go. Nobody else is hearing this. Nobody else is listening. Nobody else is, is hearing the word of God. He's in the midst of this pagan culture. He's the only one who hears it. Think about today as the criticism comes towards Christians and the outright hatred towards Christians who believe the word of God. I saw something about Chris Pratt and the fact that he goes to a church in New York City and Chris Pratt, the actor, if you know who he is, uh, the act, and he goes to a church in New York City. That, that church in New York City has a stance on, on human sexuality. And so another actor or actress uh, criticizes him and says, how can he be all about this hatred and wanting to kill people? I mean, just accused him of horrific crimes because he believes what the Word of God says. I got to tell you, that we are nowhere near what Abraham's dealing with. We are in no way in the midst of a culture like he is in. However, there are flashes of that at different times. We're in the midst of a culture that believes if, that if you believe, if you listen to the word of God, if you say, okay, I'm going to trust the word of God, then you are outside you are gone. You are going to be rejected by history, and it, everyone's going to see that. Everyone's going to know that. Abraham's act of faith was not insignificant. It was a monumental act on his part to say, okay, God, I will do this. Okay. And here's the thing. God has called you and I out of a culture. God has called you and I out of the comfort. God has called us out of the, the security of, of the places where we are. God has called us out sometimes out of the friendships that we are in. God has called us out of the norm. God has called us out of what we've been settled in. God has called us out of the success that we think that we have. God has called us out of all of those things. And it doesn't mean that we have to completely reject our family, but it might. It might. 
It, it may mean that we, that we need to walk away from something in the family. Perhaps the family's involved in something that you can no longer be a part of. Or perhaps the family rejects you because of your Christianity and you now must live separately because of their rejection. God is calling us out. God has called you out, you and I out. Perhaps you're not a believer yet. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this. And you don't necessarily understand what the call of God is on your life. You don't necessarily see what God is calling you to. And what God is, is, is calling you to is not light and inconsequential. It is heavy and it is real and it is drastic on some level. God is calling you to completely reject this pagan world. And to now live separately from that. The call of God on your life is not a light and inconsequential call on your life. It is very serious and very consequential and very heavy. The next thing that we see is this. Verse 31. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go uh, into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, uh, different from uh, Haran the person, and then you got Haran the city, uh, when they came to Haran, they settled there. And I think it's, it's, it's significant that this verse says that Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot and all of these people. And they went from Ur of the Chaldeans. And, they, and, and, and it says that they were to go into the land of Canaan. It says we have a direction that we're going. We have a place that we're planning on being. This is the, the direction that God is calling us. Now I don't believe that Terah was necessarily called. I believe that God called Abram. But Terah being the father figure... And this being a genealogy, the father figure is going, and so Terah is taking his son. But God called Abram, and he told Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and I want you to go to the place that I tell you to go, uh, in, into the land of Canaan, out of, Ur of the Chaldeans. But instead, when they come to Haran, they settle there. He's told to go to Canaan which is an area, and instead he goes to Haran. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but it's, a, it's kind of a faith pit stop. It's like God calls you out of something, and you have this, uh, you have this experience, or you're going to have this experience. Or maybe this has happened to you multiple times like it has to me. God calls, calls me out of something, and he calls me to something incredible. For Abraham, or Abram, it was, it was calling him out of paganism. It was call, calling him out of an immoral place. It was calling him out of this, this place of, of just reckless immorality. And instead of continuing on, we don't know why. Perhaps Terah was like, Anna, I just want to hang out here. I just want to chill right here, right now. And so Abram waits, and he stops in 
Haran. And it says, it's not that they just took a pit stop. It's that they settled there. So instead of whole obedience to the command of God, instead of continuing to active, actively uh, pursue God through obedience, they settle in another place, Haran, which is also full of paganism and full of demon God worship. How many of us have been there? Not in Haran, but our own personal Haran. I remember when I felt like God called me to him. He plucked me out of a situation. He took me out of that situation to a place where I could hear from him. And I felt that call on my life to follow after God. And then life happened, and my faith got stagnant, and so I ended up in a place where I was just kind of sitting around doing the same thing that I was before. And instead of leaving Ur of the Chaldeans, instead of leaving my, my former way of life, I stopped on the way in a place that was comfortable, just like that place was. See, many of us have come to faith, and instead of going the whole distance to where God is calling us, continuing in obedience to God, we stop halfway and we say, okay, I'm good right here. And I've got to tell you that I think that the American church is packed with people like that. Because the American church is packed with people like me. The American church is packed with people like you. I, don't, I think Abram is similar to all of us and that it's miraculous when God calls us, but then we only go part of the way. And so instead of taking the whole step of faith, instead of, instead of going all the way that God wants us to go, we take some half steps. We take some half steps. So instead of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we just attend on Sundays. Instead of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we have another life. Instead of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we really are just the same person who's just a little bit more moral. Instead of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, who's committed to his word and hearing what he has to say to us and listening and following him, we go halfway and we stop. And we are sitting in Haran and we're getting comfortable doing the same things, perhaps nicer things. See, idolatry can have a really ugly face, like human sacrifice. And we can all just be like, well, I'm not doing that, and so that's, so I'm good there, Matt, you know. I'm still walking in faith. But see, idolatry is just, a lot of times, it's just idol trading. God calls us away from one idol, and, and instead of replacing that idol with the true and living God, uh, we replace it with another idol. And so as we get older, we trade materialism for perhaps overworking. As we get older, we begin to trade 
more respectable idols. We begin to trade uh, for a new idol that's like, you know, now I'm going to make this my, my thing. Sometimes that can even be our family. It can be the thing that we should be loving the most, but then we love it so much that God gets pushed out of the picture. And the symptoms of that are pretty obvious. We overpurchase things because uh, we, over, we, we buy too big of a house because we want our family to be able to live in comfort. We buy too big of a car or something like that. We work too much because we want to provide all these things. Sometimes we go after our kids and we get really angry at them because they don't uphold this value that we have as a family because family is now our idol. See, it's a, it's a good thing, but then we, we just turn it into idolatry. We're not sacrificing humans. We're sacrificing our family by making them our God. It's just a more respectable idol, you see. It's the idolatry of, 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 of friendships, it's the idolatry of activities. It's the idolatry of, of finances. And you see that clearly when we, when we don't have any generosity to speak of. It's instead of going the whole way, we go part of the way. Instead of walking in faith, we walk in unbelief. See, Abram stopped in Haran. And they settled there. Where have you settled? What are you settled on? If you look at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to, Ab uh, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Initially, when God's call went to Abram, Abram did not know where he was going. We see that from other scriptures, but he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. God calls him out of there, and God says, I'm going to show you where I want you to go. And what does Abram do? He does leave. That, that's counted as faith, but it was only partial because he stopped in, in Haran. But then God calls him, and he calls him out of Haran and says, get out of there. Get out of that place. And so God says, I want to take you somewhere that I'm going to show you. Now, here's the problem. When we say, okay, God, I'm, I'm okay with following you, but I just need to know where we're going. I just want to know where, where we're planning on being. I just want to know what you have for me. We say that a lot, especially when we're young people. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what my career is going to be. I don't know what I should major in. Or we, we, we don't see where God is taking us in the midst of our family situations. We don't see what's happening, and we don't know what's going on. God comes to Abram and he says, I want you to leave the place of comfort, the place of security, the place where all of your friends are, where all of your family is, where you are settled, and I'm not going to tell you where you're going. And what does Abram do? Abram follows God. He says, okay, I'm going. I'm doing it. He chooses to go. 
Where? Abram doesn't know. He chooses to believe the bare word of God and just says, okay. But God follows that with this. I'm gonna, I want you to go to the place that I'm going to show you. And again it says, and I will make of you a great nation. Think about the contrast. When you think about the context of where we are in Scripture right now, Babel just happened, the Tower of Babel, where people said, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's build this tower. And then people are going to see who we are. They're going to see this great city. They're going to see how incredible we are. And, and so this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And don't we all do that? And don't we all constantly say, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to go there? But God says, I'm going to show you where you're going. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Chapter 12, verse 3. God is the one who says, I will, I will, I will, I will. How many authors today, how many preachers are preaching the idea that you can, you can, you can, you can, you can. You need to realize your potential. You need to finally get to that place or you're finally so successful because you have done this and that and the other thing. And they have a formula for you for how you can be somebody in God's kingdom and how you can be somebody who is successful and how you can name it and claim it or whatever. But what does this say? That the model of faith is this, is that I will show you where you're going I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The promise isn't necessarily all to us. It is to Abram, and it comes through Abram to us. We are blessed through that, not in the exact same way. But it is God who does it. It is God who works it is God who works out the blessing. It is God who creates a massive nation. It is God who does this. Luther, Martin Luther, says this. He says, you should consider in regards to, I'll make you into a great nation. He says, you should consider that what the Lord promises Abraham here is altogether impossible. Unbelievable and untrue if you follow reason because it cannot be seen. If the Lord has something like this in mind for Abraham, why does he not let him remain in his land with his kindred where Abraham undoubtedly had some influence or reputation? Is, this, is the way to success easier among strange people where one does not even have a place to set one's foot than at home? where one's fields, friends, neighbors, and relatives are, where one's household has been well-established? Martin Luther's asking this question. He's saying, it completely defies logic. It's, it's a, it's, it is so crazy to even consider what God is doing and how he was doing it. Because what we think is, you know what, I'm going to take this step and that step and this step 
And I am going to glorify God in all of these things. Now that in and of itself is not entirely wrong or bad. However, what we must see is that ultimately it is up to God. It is absolutely up to him. And it happens against our sensibilities. It happens against our sensibilities. God, I have to have this business in order to glorify you. That's what I've always dreamed of, and so I have to have this business. And God says, I want you to leave everything. And we won't hear him because we believe that we know how we're supposed to glorify God. But God is the one who glorifies himself through our work. I have to have uh, this kind of house, or I have to have this place in life in order to be about you. And God says, no, you don't. And, and we say, I don't know how this is possible, God. I don't know how you could make something uh, of me without all of my friends without all of my connections, without all of that stuff. And God says, leave it all and walk away. Leave it all and come follow me. Trust in the bare word of God and follow. That's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to obedience. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Uh, Go ahead and put verse 3 up there for me. Chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what does this say? What's it mean? God says, again, I will bless those who bless you. Who is Abraham? Abraham is, is the head of Israel. He's the great-grandfather of Israel. And he is the one who begins this nation. And God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, who bless your nation. When you think about Israel and the people that have aligned themselves, the countries, the dictators that have aligned themselves against Israel, both biblically speaking and then also historically when you see that, You see how God has cursed those nations or those dictators. God has truly cursed those people who have dishonored them. There's many authors who believe that the success and the prosperity of America in part has come because of our defense of Israel. I think it's at least partly true. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's saying, there's something that's going to happen in your life, Abram. There's something that's going to happen. And it's because of what I'm doing in your life that other people are going to be blessed. Now, here's the thing. What Christians don't get oftentimes is that we're not blessed just for ourselves. We think, okay, I got some blessing. And we're, play- we're praying for blessing. God, would you bless me? Would you bless the things that I'm doing? Would you bless this meal? Would you bless my my drive? Would you give me traveling mercies? Would you bless uh, the socks off me? Would you bless the socks off of her? Would you bless, 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 bless me and bless everything about me and bless my stuff and give me more stuff 
Because that's blessing, and I want some more blessing after that. Now, that is often the prayer that we have. But God says this, that you have been blessed, not just to bless yourself, and not just to be blessed, you are blessed through the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. But you are blessed in order to be a blessing. Look back at verse 2. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I want you to be a blessing to everyone else. And what we don't get is that that's what God has called us to. God has called us to be more than people who are looking for blessing. More than people who are putting Facebook photos up of us being in, you know, on some vacation. Or in some great house. Or with a great car. Or even with a great family. Or with a great job. That says hashtag blessed. That's not necessarily wrong. It's good to recognize when God has blessed us. But God has more for you and for me than just us being a blessing to ourselves. God has blessed us in order to bless others. So that's a question. Are you a blessing to other people? Are you a blessing in that you care about other people and what's going through their world? Are you a blessing in looking out for them, providing for them, care and concern for your neighbors? Let's go on here for just a few more minutes. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot's brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of, uh, the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. I need to set the stage for you really quick. They come to the land of Canaan. They come to this place. It's, it's at Shechem. It's the Oak of Moreh. And what one commentator says, and I haven't been able to confirm this, but it's very possible that there was a shrine there of some sort. It's very possible that there was a tree that was there that when the leaves rustled, they would listen to it and try to listen for, you know, words from their God or something along these lines. I can't verify that. But what is clear is that the Canaanites were in the land. The Canaanites are the arch enemy of God's people. They're the descendants of Ham. And they do not like the Israelites because they are the descendants of Shem. God has blessed Shem and he's cursed Canaan. And so they come into the land of the Canaanites. They're, they're, they're in there. He comes into this place, which is clearly also some type of a pagan area of worship. And then it says in verse 7, Then the, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Well, that's kind of crazy. To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
And then it says again in verse 8, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. What's Abram doing? What's happening? He hears God. He listens to him. Here's the bare word of God. God says, go. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to give you this land. Go. And, and he says, okay, God, you said it. I'm doing it. And he goes. And then he comes to this place that's filled with Canaanites, people who hate Israel. He comes to a place that seems clear that it's, it's got pagan rituals and there's people all around. He comes to another place there's got to be people there. In addition to that, there's Lot and Sarai and all of the people that they had with them. And Abram does something which is amazing. He's not building some kind of crazy house for himself. And we're not against house building. But in Abram's situation, he was not about putting a stake in the ground and saying, okay, this is it. This is, this is where I'm at. No, the promise was for the future. But instead of that, he's living in a tent and he builds an altar to the Lord. So it's, it's not a small thing. There's stones that are built up and then there's this area where they have a sacrifice and then they burn up this offering. It's not a small thing. It's a big thing that says, I worship Yahweh, God's name. I worship God. I worship Yahweh. And then it says that he calls upon the name of the Lord. So he's calling upon the name of the Lord. He's built an altar. He's making a sacrifice. And he is calling out to God. And he's in the midst of this crazy land, in the midst of this place where he's uncomfortable and he doesn't know anybody. And he's just, he's just there. He has no comfort. He has no security. The only thing that he has is the bare word of God. God saying, I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you, or him who dishonors you, I will curse. And what does he do? He worships God in the middle of that. Now let me ask you, are you worshiping God in the midst of your culture? Are you worshiping God in the midst of the place where you are? See, here's the thing about Abram. He's not a perfect person. You're going to see that over and over again. You're going to see Abram's failures along with his consistent faith and God's absolute faithfulness. God's absolutely faithful. Abraham kind of sputters sometimes, but he's still faithful. God is absolutely faithful to Abram. And Abram walks with God and he leaves his, his country and his kindred and he leaves all that stuff and he goes to the place where God tells him. He believes his word and then he says, okay, God, I'm going to worship you in this place and this time even though I'm living in a tent, even though I'm uncomfortable. Are you worshiping God in your culture? Are you worshiping God on your street? Are you worshiping God where you live? Are you worshiping God in your work? Are you worshiping God with your finances? 
See, Abram said, I'm following God, and I don't care who knows it. Abram says, I have faith in God, and I don't care who sees. Abram chose to do even the most difficult things. How difficult is it today to even mention that we read the Word of God and we believe what it says? It, it is unbelievably difficult. It's unbelievably difficult to stand out in the middle of a culture where we say there's some things that we don't do. There's some ways that we don't live. There's, there, we will look different. We will have a different set of marching orders. We will be people who are not carried along by our feelings, but simply believing the word of God. Simply hearing from him. Tell me, what are you, what are you waiting on? Are you, are you, what are you waiting for? Because that faith right there that God called Abram into is transformational. It, it absolutely wrecks his world. We as a church here at Outward, one of the things that we recognize is this, is that we've been, we've been really good at attracting people on some level to what God is doing here. But the thing that sometimes has not been done really well is taking people from that point, from Haran, and taking them into the land of Canaan, and we are not God, by the way, but leading us from Haran and into the land of Canaan where God will show us, leading us into the place of blessing, leading us into this. And I'm convicted by that. I'm convicted by that because what it says is this. It says that we've been okay with people. We've been okay with ourselves. We've been okay with a, a church in some respects that is just kind of getting by. And we've been okay with people just saying, you know, it's just where I'm at right now. Instead of saying, no, God has more for you. Leave it. Leave the pagan worship. Leave Ur of the Chaldeans. Walk away and obey the bare word of God. I know that it's difficult. Stop thinking about your feelings. Stop listening to all of the other voices. Stop being influenced by our culture and walk with God. I'm convicted by that. That's, that's me. It's not just you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm saying this as the lead pastor. I'm saying, I want to dig into Abraham's life. I want to dig in to what God does in his life through his power and see how it's going to unfold in our church and see if we can't see some similarities between us. I think next week is going to get... It's, it's, it's a little crazy. You could read ahead. Maybe you should. You should probably be reading your Bible. But I think next week is going to show us 
some other things. One thing I want to I tell you. There are four things that we see in the life of, of Abram that are going to be unpacked as we go through the next several weeks. They are four L's. Abram's faith is expressed as loyalty to Yahweh. It's expressed in how he lives as if his promises are true. It's, it's expressed in his love for God and for others. And it's expressed in him looking to the Lord's provision and the Messiah. So loyal, live, love, and look. Those are four things that we're going to be looking for in the life of uh, Abram slash Abraham. And we're going to unpack those as we go. We're going to unpack those and we're going to, we're going to see what does it look like for me to express my faith as a, a loyalty to Yahweh even when no one else is. What does it look like for me to express my loyalty to this God even when I'm in the midst of my culture? What does it look like for me to live as if his promises are true even when it makes no sense at all? What does it look like for us? What does it look like to live as if God's promises are true even when it makes no sense at all? What's it look like to love God and others and self through righteous and just actions? What does it look like to obey God in that sense? And lastly, what does it look like to look to the Lord's provision in Jesus? How, how, how do we do that? Abram's faith was expressed at least in these four ways. And I got to tell you, if that is what God is calling us to, is your faith walked out in actions? Actions do not get us saved, do not give us faith. Actions are the expression of our faith. It is walked out faith. Do you have the actions that show that you actually do believe what God says is true? I'm going to leave you with that, and we're going to unpack that more next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's so much that, uh, that we could cover this morning. And Lord, I feel like there's... There's just a ton of stuff that's left unsaid. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you bring clarity to your word, Lord, that you'd help us understand what you have for us, and Lord, that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, I believe that there's many of us in here that need to take steps of growth. We need to leave uh, not just Tehran, but we need to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. We need to leave in the first place. Lord, and come to a place where we're walking in faith, believing your bare word and walking with you. So, Lord, I pray that you would show us that. Lord, that we'd uh, be convicted of areas where we need to uh, be following you. Lord, perhaps all of our life needs to be upended. And so, Lord, we ask you for this. In your name we pray. Amen.